Hey everyone, welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. With me as always, we got John. Last time we were talking, the Kings were about to enter their second uh, the second three games of their six-game road trip after dropping the first three at one and two. Um, after getting blown up by the Sixers, the Kings win against the uh, the Raptors and the Pistons. To, to split that road trip three and three, which I, I called, I predicted personally. John said four and two. I don't know if you went back. Whoa, 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 whoa. I ran back the tape Did on you? What did you say? I don't think I actually gave it a prediction. So you 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 just were like dancing around the question? So I think so. I was dancing around, but I never really danced around four and two. I said they could go four and two if they beat Milwaukee. So so you, what, are you, what are you saying? You went... You went three and three like me. I'm, sa- I'm saying I'm saying I was not qualified, and um, I deserve ridicule for not participating. So I'm right. I'm right. Yeah, you're no, wrong. The situation for me is worse. It's Just worse than it. we thought. Just say I'm right. Tony was right. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, so- frankly, frankly, I say a lot, but go on. <laughs> No, I mean the Kings split the road trip at three and three, which was great. I especially after going down two and four, um, or sorry, not two and four, but going down one and three in their first four on that six game after getting absolutely dominated by the Sixers, which was one of those games where I it was like, all right, this this game's getting turned off before the end. But um, yeah, so in in the road trip with back to back wins. And then they go back home on two days rest. And then <laughs> they lose to the 8-23 and 23 Charlotte Hornets uh, in a game the other night. That was just frustrating to watch, especially with Sabonis and Fox having huge games. Rest of the Kings, not so much. But there we all, there we are, all caught up. John, uh, I miss anything? Or what are your thoughts? On everything I just said in the recap, yeah, I think I think Mike Brown said it best when he said it was a the reality check because you were just coming off of you know a great close to that road trip as you were laying out with two excellent wins. That win in Toronto was crazy, and then they took care of business in Detroit, and then they just came back home with everything on their side. Fox feeling the best he's felt in a month. Sabonis continuing to play, not just like an all-star, but an elite center. And you're seeing guys like Harrison Barnes playing pretty decently. You're seeing guys like Keegan Murray starting to turn it on. Monk getting together since Fox returned. He was kind of like a little off. Him and the bench unit were off for about three games there or so. Um, And over the last, you know, three or four, they really figured it out. And so on and so forth with the rest of the roster. Really, everything started to get going. And so to come home and slip on the banana peel, um, so to speak, was was rough because I think one of the most important points about the next, well, now next 18 games, but going into that Charlotte game, it was the next 19 games, that 15 of those 19 games are at home. And it's important to not only take advantage of any home game, but to rack up as many wins in this favorable stretch of time um, 
because you're going to need those as the competition in the West starts heating up as things start going down to the wire. It's as Jason Anderson pointed out, and I think a piece he did for the SAC B, um, it's just absolutely imperative for seeding in the playoffs and the Kings' chances to be more than a, a play-in team. Um, and so it was severely disappointing to see them lose to Charlotte. And there's just there's so many glaring negatives in that game. It was despite you know Fox and Sabonis playing so well, it was just ugly in so many other places. And uh, you can only hope and you almost expect them to at this point to bounce back against the Lakers. Um, but not off to the start that you want to get to uh, with that 19-game stretch that we're talking about. Yeah, and you needed to beat the Hornets last night or two nights ago. Um, uh, it, <laughs> something that's helped me cope with the loss is thinking about how the Kings maybe five years ago or at any point during the 16th, 16-year playoff drought when they'd go in and beat a team that was much better than them. Um, you know, we're, we're usually and on that side, I guess, right? We're doing the upset. But, but now it kind of feels not nice, but it's it's like I can appreciate, I guess, being on the other side about being upset by a team because the Kings are actually a, a team with playoff seeding right now. So, I mean, a loss is a loss and it's frustrating, but... I guess thinking about it that way for me helped me deal with it, but I agree. You, you can't you can't blow chances like that against an eight and twenty three Hornets team. Should have won that game. Not a good way to kick off the the you know that good home stand. Um, they have a six game um, six games in a row at home, and then like you said, what was it fifteen out of their next nineteen are at home? So you gotta you gotta capitalize on every game you can, and that was definitely a game they should have won, but. Man, I mean, there was just a lot of issues. I mean, free throw shooting was horrendous. Um, the, the defensive rebounding, terrible. It seemed like Sabonis was the only one grabbing rebounds that game. But um, you got any more? Got any more insight for that game? Oh, you you hit it there. But I mean, also the seventy-two paint points for Charlotte. Yeah. And I mean, it was an interesting. It's an interesting outlook that you mentioned. Like there might be a positive outlook, and that. Well, this underachieving team, I think it's fair to say, um, due to injuries and the fact that their stars haven't been on the floor a lot, um, you know, it it's a good sign for how the Kings stand in relation to the rest of the league that they came out and played one of their best games of the season. I mean, you look up and down the board for Charlotte, a lot of guys had really, really good games. And it, it's comes down to though i mean like they they scored 72 paint points and mike brown said it after the game they just let them the kings let the, the hornets get too comfortable from the beginning the first f- three or four field goals for the for the hornets were easy dunks or layups at the rim and that was a constant theme all night and they were just getting you know out physical inside seen in the rebounds and they just were generally off in that Defensively, they had some miscues where, as you know, again, Mike Brown pointed out, the low man didn't always step in at the right time or do so as as uh, bravely as he would like. 
And also the weak side defense wasn't as good. And there were some examples that I pointed out in the recap just off of a glance. And I'm sure that his film session was <laughs> quite firm uh, and had plenty more examples. But, um, you know, that also led a huge part into the paint points. But again, that lack of being sharp uh, was really laid out in the fifty-four percent from the free throw line, seventeen of thirty-one. Oof. You get to the you get to the line thirty-one times, which is terrific. And you but you only you you leave you you leave fourteen points on the board. Man, my, it's that, like, come on. That, I mean, that's how you lose. You lose by six points, and you leave fourteen at the yeah. line. It's embarrassing. It's awful. And, and Mike Brown was like, because I think James Ham asked him about the free throws is like you know this is another game that you lost because you missed free throws mike brown kind of got um a little uh cute or specific and was like well no we would have stolen the game maybe if we made those free throws because he was pointing out that the defense was the main reason that they lost which is fair but still you lose by six and you leave 14 at the line i mean like what are you doing that's you lost you could have won that game like <laughs> you lost because you didn't make free throws as totally fair to say and that was like that Clippers game and even like that New York Knicks game a week or so ago and I said last week I said you know I don't want to be overreacting here but you don't want to see this and they kind of cleaned it up for the rest of the road trip didn't become an issue but then they come back home and it's part of that issue and again I don't know I kind of almost attribute it to just they were just generally off all the way around aside from their two best players yeah, I I always hate watching the Kings lose when Sabonis and Fox have good games. And it's nice to see Fox kind of get back into his usual form after having, you know, I think it felt like a 10-game or so stretch where he just looked subpar. And, yeah, he had that foot injury, but he said he was, like, dealing with it since November. And he looked, you know, he looked good in times at that, like, between November 5th and now. Or, you know, when that report came out where he was still playing well. So it was kind of weird that he went on such a bad stretch. But it's nice for him to get back to his usual self. And he's scoring buckets really well. He's attacking the basket, which I think is huge. Something he wasn't doing during that little slump. And Sabonis has just been... I mean, that dude's an all-star. It's not even its not even a question anymore. He's an all-star. Leading the league in rebounds. Leading the league in double-doubles. He has, what, three... I think uh, 20, 20 and five games this year already. It's crazy. He's dude's a monster. And um, it's, it just sucks watching Fox score 37, watching Sabonis throw up another 20, 25 game. And then no one else, no one else steps up. So uh, it's just, just like a wasted opportunity on top of playing the Hornets. Right. So, yeah. And uh, also, Another contributing factor to why they lost because the Kings played fairly decently in the second and third quarters uh, in that Charlotte game. And they won both quarters and Charlotte didn't score more than 30 points in either of them. Um, But and maybe it's not all the way because of this guy, but Harrison Barnes left the game after he checked out near the end of the third, didn't play at all in the fourth out with a right quad contusion uh, he was limited in practice on tuesday and uh 
as of recording this, we don't know the status for Wednesday's game, but it's plausible that he could miss it. Um, first of all, he was doing a good job as he's done lately of getting to the line, even though, as we were pointing out, the Kings were missing from the line, but, uh, his presence and his, uh, abilities, um, and kind of ability to kind of take charge and kind of make the right play, especially when things kind of get stagnant or muddy. Uh, I think that factored into it as well. And now we're looking at a situation where, well, because Barnes hurt the quad, it seemed like after he picked up that steal, I think in the second quarter, and then went for the layup, it was contested. I think it ended up being a goaltend. Um, and he was grabbing at his leg. And uh, I don't know. It depends how serious it is, but it kind of, first of all, you you wonder about the injury, but then also you wonder about, oh, that's going to exploit a little bit of a roster hole or at least kind of like shine a bigger light on it, no? Dude, I mean, there's so much talk about the backup center position to Sabonis, but I'm still not over cutting Kent Bazemore in training camp. When Barnes hasn't had a damn backup at the small forward position since being in Sacramento, and except for the half the season, Kent Bazemore was in Sac, uh, and now Barnes is you know might miss a game or he's going to need limited time, and especially with the quad, I don't, Barnes he just has he, he has that habit of slowing down during the season, and this quad probably won't help that and may lead to that. So yeah, if you're you're down a your small forward, such an important position, it just it just it just makes me scratch my head still, knowing that we picked up Chiman Maneke, and I like Chiman Maneke, but I mean, why? He's the dude's never gonna play. He got one chance earlier this season, and he's gonna get chances in garbage time. You could have had a legit wing player. I could have filled in for Barnes, even giving him rest off the bench or coming in last night, like when you need a legit small forward. It's just, I don't know. I, can you can you sign someone? Can you cut Maneke? I, it's just, it's frustrating to me still off of that. It, it made no sense. And it just felt like Brown was playing favorites. Like the one, the one downside to Brown so far, in my opinion, is that he just chose all his Nigerian players, which I get, but it, it's gonna show up now if Barnes misses some time because I think Bazemore for sure should have made the team or at least some backup small forward but you know here we are and uh, Barnes might miss some time now so or at least need a legit backup if anything so yeah well you don't want an injury to linger we were just talking about Fox (laughs) yeah Yeah. so you want especially in Barnes is 30 so you know, while that's not ancient, uh, it's not young. Um, so you want to give him the adequate time off to be able to rest. I mean, again, we are kind of working with the situation where he, it's not like he didn't practice on was Tuesday. Um, he was limited. So that's a good sign. But again, it's just like, you don't want to make that worse. You don't want that to linger. You want to just nip that in the bud now. Um, one would hope, especially because Barnes is so important to the team. And, you know, if you don't have depth there, might as well minimize that, minimize the ability for that to get exploited. But, I mean, you bring up a good point that 
it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question that I have now is like, well, what's the starting lineup look like if Barnes isn't in it? Does <laughs> Herter slide down to the three? Does Murray slide up to the three? Does Davis start at the three? Or does Davis start at the three? Does Akpala start? I know. Um, I almost feel like so I almost goals. feel like I almost feel like it, just based on what you said, and I totally agree that he just has so much faith in in guys. Um, although he was pretty blatant about the other night about Chemezi Matu not working <laughs> out at the five, um, <laughs> as he was really everybody, um, which we'll get to. But uh, you know that that just kind of like almost undying trust he has in them. And I get it. We've always pointed it out with Maneke, there's upside. Akpala, there's upside. Matu. Um, there's something with Matu. Um, but <laughs> it's just like, this is, this is exactly what you're worried about. And man, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like, well, as I was saying there, it's like, I do feel like <laughs> that would mean Akpala would be getting probably the start in my opinion based on that trust alone Mm-hmm. especially yeah. if they're playing like a talented wing because then you could justify it like well he can go out there and check the guy and keep him from getting off to a good start which could help as you saw with charlotte the ability for all you know four or five of their starters to get it going early um you know that was kind of i guess not Plumley, but nick richards but you know you want to prevent that um and so I guess you could see the justification there, but it is a problem. And now it's like, it's next man up, but it's like now the backup that wasn't there is doubly not there. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, you guys have to step up and I don't know, maybe, you know, since everybody has some faith uh, to varying degrees uh, in Keita, maybe <laughs> Maybe you see some of that in rookie Keon Ellis um, kind of play the wing a little bit, I guess, but I don't know. It's just make a good point. That could be the biggest critique of Mike Brown um, favoring less experienced guys uh, instead of uh, sticking with a guy like Bazemore, which we said, you know, he didn't have a great year in LA last year, but it's like, Still, that is the most viable backup the Kings have had for Harrison Barnes since uh, HB's been here. So, I don't know. Stands out. We'll see what happens. But going forward, you can only hope that this injury is not a big deal and that Barnes is going to be fine. But, you know, if it's not, they got to be able to manage it. And there's going to be a need, whether it's load management or a game or two off, there's going to be a need for somebody to step up and it's going to be very hard to fill in Harrison Barnes' shoes with what the Kings have. Yeah. And like you already said, HB is a very important player. And you, I mean, you have to plug in someone like even like 50 to 75% of him. Right. But I mean, unless you honestly move Herter to the three and you, I mean, I, I think you start Herter at the three and then start Davis at the two. I, I I think that's your best call, personally. Mm-hmm. Akpala, it just I don't know. I just don't trust his offense. And Davis, I agree. Is, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I just think Mike Brown's gonna would do that. <laughs> yeah, because he loves his he loves his boys. He loves his national team boys. But I don't know. We'll we'll see. Luckily, Herder can play the three decently. 
But I don't know. And Davis has looked good as of late when he gets his minutes too. So that's good. But yeah, but Davis, it's just like a, it's nice again Davis. though. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just like Barnes, defensive player of the game, two nights in a row to close D-P-O-G. that. That's right. And for good reason. I mean, he shut down Siakam in the second half. And then, you know, he guarded Bogdanovich uh, in Detroit. And those are essentially the two best players on each of those teams. Mm-hmm. And he was great. And it's just like, it's so nice to see. And we've pointed this out for the last couple of weeks. Um, wondering when he win or if he'll get a contract extension is that seems like the, you know, best bet given the limited options um you know that defensive end cannot be you know ruled out or uh, forgotten because he's he's so good on that end too just as a team defender an experienced player and what he's done over the last couple of games has really shown that he against certain matchups he's really good he's got great size and ability to disrupt guys like that and that's just that's really impressive so i don't know that just kind of underlines this, you know, yeah. borderline reason to worry. Hmm. I guess I guess we'll find out sooner or later on if he's going to play or miss time. But at, at one point this season, Barnes is going to miss a game, right? We're going to have the same exact conversation. So even if he doesn't miss tonight, he's he's going to miss a game eventually this year. I don't. I mean, I just I don't know what last time Barnes played all eighty-two games. Um, and he doesn't, I don't know. I, I can't remember if he misses. He, I, I, like I said, I think he usually goes down during the middle of the season. Last year, he was like last year, he played 77 games, you know, but that's like five games you miss without that small forward. So he's never, he's played 82 games once in his career. And he's usually up there in the seventies during full seasons or 2021. He plays 58. I, I forget if that's. A shortened season. I don't think it was, was it? Well, yeah, it was. That was right off. It was. That was the year after COVID. Twenty twenty one. Well, didn't that get cut short? I think it got cut short. Yeah, but I think there was like at least seventy two games that year. Right. But he only played fifty eight, so he missed some time. But my point is, he's going to miss time this year, even if it's not tonight. He's going to miss time eventually, and we're going to have the same conversation. So. I don't know, maybe maybe we'll we'll see our first lineup without Barnes tonight, and maybe it works out well. But I'm still upset that Bazemore didn't make the team. It's That's good all point. you got to say. It's a good point, and that kind of moves along to kind of another issue that is almost it's almost also tied in a way because Sabonis has played 39 minutes or more in like the last four games or whatever. And I think, or whatever it is, I don't know. Let me pull that up. But he's been playing basically 40 minutes a lot over the last four or five games. And I think we all know where this conversation is going. You know, the Kings have been searching for an answer at the backup five, and they just have not gotten a consistent solution. And we all know Rashawn Holmes, starter for a few years here in Sacramento, lost a starting job. There's a lot of hope that the Kings could have him step in to being the backup to Sabonis. I mean, how great would that be? Two starter level centers, one after the other, with Holmes providing great energy and, you know, uh, with the rest of the second unit, 
I mean, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah. It's just not panned out. Um, and he, as Mike Brown said, after the Charlotte game, he had a pretty long leash. I mean, he was the backup center for eight games and he was pretty miserable in all eight of those games. Um, and then Chemezi Metu stepped in. He was pretty good for almost a month. It felt like he was pretty good for a while. Um, for the majority of the time, pretty adequate mixed in perfectly with the second unit running the floor, getting those lobs. Um, but it just seemed like, especially on this road trip against some of these more imposing teams where his size mismatch was there, but it was also just like, you could see Metu just, he was not as sharp. And also he played with, you know, kind of outside of himself. I think it was that Toronto game where he took like three field goal attempts that were all pretty lousy. And, um, I think the last two in particular were just a little forced and it's just like, dude, you are the last option out there. Like you're, <laughs> you're scoring, you're scoring. You, you Okay. If you get a wide open three, your coach probably wants you to shoot that. He passed that up and made like a way more difficult shot out of it. Um, <laughs> so it's just like, that is the last thing you want to be doing, dude. Like if it's not a wide open three or a lob or something or a wide open dunk that you earn, um, then get out of here. So kind of just a bad you know mix of you know a bad recipe for metu over the last couple of games and mike brown's been forced to go to keita and like in relation to metu's last few games it's like kate has been you could almost argue that he's been marginally better but it's like we're looking for a consistent solution here keita could be that at the beginning of next season or the season after i don't dispute that at all um, i also don't think that you know if the kings were playing poorly this year that it would be a terrible idea to let him develop in the, in the league, but it's like, you need to be winning games. And this backup center thing is kind of a big deal. I don't think you can wait around for this guy to kind of mature. And I don't think that Mike Brown is at all infatuated with shot blocking. So it's all about your inside presence, your ability to play with the guys as a cohesive unit that takes some time. And he's been able to practice with the team through training camp as a two-way player contract, but excuse me and a bunch of other people, if they don't believe that he's going to be a legitimate answer there. Um, I feel like you almost have a better bet of just waiting on Holmes to get, to figure it out. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's cynical, but um, you just don't have an option right there. And like I said, Sabonis is playing a lot of extra minutes. And he's great, and he's doing fine, and it's December right now. But it takes a wear and tear. And, you know, Mike Brown said, as anybody could guess, that he would think that you you just can't get away with playing Sabonis 40 minutes a night. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not sustainable. So this is a big issue. I mean, do you have any thoughts just on what the Kings have? We'll talk about outside options in a second. But just thinking about the situation now, I mean, do you, do you think it's it's a matchups based thing could be a good idea, or just kind of revolving to different guys as it seems to be the case? He's kind of sticking with Keita maybe for now. I don't know. I, I mean, before I start talking about it, I just remember at the beginning of the season or before the season started, we we rated each positional group. Then the center was was the best because we thought they had the most depth, and um, 
I mean, it appeared they did. <laughs> and, you know, Lynn's been out too. And so I think Kate is only up because Lynn's out because you don't put Kate in there over Lynn, in my opinion. Kate is so, so raw still. And he's out there and he, he kind of looks lost. And he fouls a ton. It's like he picked up, he picks up a lot of quick fouls. Um, so I think he's only in there um, at the moment because Lynn's out. I think Lynn would be getting those minutes over Kata. Um and yeah, Ma, uh, <laughs> I was going to call him Mamba. Mezzi Mamba is your boy. <laughs> uh, he has those moments. He just hasn't had them this season at all. I know, right? Uh, he he's he's looked bad <laughs> for the last like the last several games. He he started off good, and I understand why he he took that uh, backup center spot over Rashawn, but he has he has not looked good recently either. Um, Rashawn, like, is just time to give him. His chance again. I, I'm still confused why he's why he doesn't fit too well. I, I guess his defense. I I don't know. It's just he looks. I mean, I I know he looks lost out there and he's been awful. But I'm just kind of surprised he hasn't bought into Brown's system. He he was our starting center for two and a half years, and now he's just he's just literally a non-factor now. It's so weird. I don't get it. But yeah. <laughs> it's just on, just just on Holmes for a second. It's just like yeah, he just well, you pointed it out at the beginning of the season that he doesn't look all the way engaged out on the floor, um, and you could almost see that it was a night and day difference when Metu went out there. I mean, he took advantage of his opportunity with enthusiasm, whereas Holmes was kind of almost just like wasn't even like considering that he was either interested in playing or that maybe he'd get replaced. I don't know. There seemed to be kind of a motivational thing that was down that you pointed out. And I agree with, um, but when you see him play, even now, like a couple months in the season, after all this practicing and uh, being in the system so long, you see, you know, Sabonis has turned into this defensive, like everybody's looking at his talking about his defense. Thank God. Um, because he's a smart defender and he, Mike Brown coached him up to be a great rim defender to use fundamentals and verticality, staying straight up, those kinds of things. He's got smaller players, you know, guarding the restricted area. Um, yet, and even see Metu have good fundamentals sometimes, not as good as Sabonis, not nearly as good, but you see him kind of, at least you can see him learning and having learned and, and trying to execute, but you just don't see that with Holmes. When he plays defense, he's, He's down, he's backpedaling, he's hesitant on contesting shots, and he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's getting into bad position, and he's trying to guard with his hands a lot, and getting he's got a couple fouls, I think, in that Toronto game. Um, he's just, it's almost just like that's not his style of defense or something, because he's just not applying any of the lessons that you see just ubiquitously used by the rest of the team you don't see any of it in Holmes the only time you see Holmes doing something good is he puts down a push shot or a pick and roll works out for him you know it's the only time Mm. but yeah I kind of interrupted you there (laughs) no I I I, it was more of a question I'm just surprised he's been just that bad I he was a starting center and now he's nothing I I mean like Sabonis learned, right? He wasn't that great of a defender. Now he's he's pretty decent, right? 
And Holmes, what is he like just trying not to learn? You know, Mike Brown gave him the opportunities and he he was given the backup centers opportunities at the beginning of the season. And, you know, he's probably given the chance in practice to try to prove himself. But is, is he just like <laughs> refusing to learn? I have no idea that I guess that is just the piece of mystery there. Um, yeah, I mean, he was asked, Mike Brown was asked, like, why hasn't you know, uh, I think it was worded as why hasn't Holmes been given a longer leash? And it's like Mike Brown pointed out, it's like, well, he did have a long leash, <laughs> played terribly, as we pointed out. Um, he didn't quite say that, but you know, it's just it just that seems like the you know, there wasn't any clear indication in Mike Brown's answer. It just seems like it doesn't, it's just not earning time. Um, so I don't know. But again, you you mentioned Lynn, and that was the one guy I neglect. I constantly neglect Lynn. And that's not because, you know, I don't consider he's there. I don't consider him an option. But again, Lynn's another one of those guys where it's like, he's not going to, he's not the answer to that. He's, he's just no, he doesn't, he doesn't have the mobility for it, I don't think. I think he's such a mismatched nightmare. They just get them switched on to somebody smaller, and then that's it. I mean, you've seen it, I think, in the limited time uh, from Len. And it's just – he's more like you want him to go out there and battle with bigger teams. He probably would have been helpful. It was kind of unfortunate he got sick on the second half of that East Coast trip because he probably could have been helpful in that situation. Mm-hmm. So it would be interesting. But, I mean, like, I don't know. He's definitely not a, a nightly guy, I think. So that's why I almost think, not to bounce around too much here, but just the general idea of the backup center. That's why I almost think like, like, kind of platoon it almost. Because if Metu's problem is like kind of size, I mean, if he can kind of hone in back to playing the right way, um, he could be good in higher pace situations against a team like the Warriors or something like that, or other Western Conference teams. And then Lynn against against Philadelphia or. Even against Charlotte last night when Nick Richards was just getting on the glass. It's like, that'd be interesting to at least be able to throw him out there. So maybe is a platoon the option? I mean, I don't know. I think and that's your only option at this point, right? You have to platoon. It has to be a matchup-based system. You put Lynn or Kata against the bigger guys. You put Metu against the smaller ball lineups. And if you even want to try to throw Holmes in there, there's probably, you know, options or, or situations where homes can play the floor. Um, maybe, I, I don't know. But uh, I mean, I think, and I don't have too much more to say on this, except that it seems like the Kings are going to have to make a move for a backup center. Because like you said, Sabonis can't be playing 40 minutes a night. And the backup centers are just so bad right now behind them. And it, it just, it really kills the Kings bench and their defense is subpar. Their offense is subpar. They just, they also kind of like look lost out there. And, you know, Sabonis needs a solid backup center behind him. That at least the, and the key, not just Sabonis, the Kings need someone for like a placeholder while he gets his 15, 20 minutes of rest a night, not even 20, like 15, right? I don't know what he's averaging a game, but probably around there, maybe 18. But yeah. Mike Brown said six to eight minutes a half. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 16 ish minutes. So 
I don't know. Do you have anything more to say? On well, I would say it's just, just kind of like uh, the, the half-hearted appeal for Holmes, which is the only appeal for, for Sean Holmes at this point. One of the things that you could say is like, well, first of all, searching for answers, I guess it can't really hurt. But another thing, I mean, if you're looking at a situation where Holmes doesn't have a place in this team, maybe you could, maybe it'd be a way to shop them or like advertise them. I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't want to do that because you don't want to hurt his stock anymore, but I don't know. The backup five, I think you're right. Kind of moving on here to looking at trading for a backup five. I mean, um, I think it was last week. Uh, I think it was Eric Pincus again uh, pointed out that um, the Detroit Pistons and Netherlands Noel had uh, moved on or had uh, mutually agreed, I should say, um, that a trade would be best for both parties because Nolan and, uh, <laughs> Noel uh, ended up there in a salary dump. Uh, after being on the Knicks and he's just not in the rotation right now. And the Kings were listed amongst some other teams like the trailblazers um, who also appear to be looking for a backup center um, that the Kings were part of the, the group of teams that were asking about him and engaging in talks. And so kind of thinking about outside options, there are a few and Netherlands Noel is kind of the first one that pops into mind here um, based on that report from last week. Uh, I think one of the things that stands out about him is that he was really good as the backup center for the Knicks like two years ago. And he got hurt a little bit and kind of fell out of the rotation last year. And I just don't think he's that same player necessarily, but I think, and this is probably the case with all these guys we're going to mention, um, he would be a, probably a far better bet as a consistent option. Um, what do you like about Nerlens Noel? What I like about Nerlens is he kind of reminds me of like a taller Rashawn Holmes, gets most of his buckets around, you know, in the paint area. And he, he has this high shooting percentage from what I remember. Um, and he, he's a good defender. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I know we were talking about Rashawn or Rashawn Holmes. Mike Brown isn't infatuated with shot blocking necessarily, but Nerlens can get those those blocks. And defense is defense. He's a good defender. He's a good presence down low. That's what the Kings are really lacking with their with their backup centers. And yeah, Metu can uh, you know play straight up defense, but he's very undersized as a center, and it's it's definitely showing. So Nerlens also a little more mobile. Kind of where Lynn, he has the size, but he's he's a mismatch nightmare. So I think that's what I like about Noel. He's uh he's a he shoots high percentage shots near the basket. Um, and he doesn't do too much. Like his shots are under the basket, really. And mm-hmm. then um, good defender and more mobile than like he's still a big guy, but also mobile. So he won't get uh, you know terrorized on the mismatches. So. I like Noel a lot. It's nice that he's uh he's available. I think the Kings should try to go after him. I know there's a couple of teams after him too, and he's not the same player like you said he was a couple of years ago. But if you can get some version of that guy, he would be he'd be better than any of the backups they got right now. Yeah, he definitely has the best mix 
of, for his skill set. Kind of offers a little bit of everything that you're looking for, as you're pointing out there. I think he would be a lot better. It's just like a question of, and this is the case with everything. It's like, what are you going to give up? Um, and I guess, I don't know. I mean, like, it's hard to gauge. I don't know what the Kings would have to give up. There's a lot of people. I think you could go ahead and on the on the trade machine, and but because you know, Noel, Noel, I keep saying Noel. Uh, Noel makes like nine point two, nine point three million. So you're like talking about, you know, like Len and Terrence Davis or something like that, with maybe a second rounder or something, or some mix of contracts. I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent claiming to be an expert on predicting trades or shaping out potential trades, but because uh, I'm not really 100% sure what Detroit's looking for there. But as I understand it, Detroit's just kind of looking for maybe, I think I think it said in the report that they're just looking for a way to get rid of them. They're not looking for extreme value. They just don't want to take on money for next year. So maybe a guy like Trey Lyles gets traded, included in, it, in the trade. I don't know. Um, there's a call, Terrence Davis has an expiring contract. Um, but again, it's like, those are guys you kind of want to keep, but you do have to give up something to get something. But Nerland's Noel would be a good option if they can pull it off. I think we can both agree. 100%. Yeah. And, I would, Noel would be great behind Sabonis. Yeah. And if, guess, if he can do what he was doing in New York. Or some like a slight variation of it. It's mm-hmm. not a huge drop off. Like yeah, just hopefully he's not like Rashawn Holmes in it. Run the floor, be engaged mm-hmm. defensively, buy into what they're doing. I'm sure he would. I mean, like you're sitting on the end of the bench in Detroit, and it's like you get traded to whether it's Portland or Sacramento or something like that. Like that's probably gonna fire you up a little bit, get you really engaged in it. And you know, mm-hmm. he's been in the league so long, so he he knows what he's he's doing. He's got his. He's 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 figure it out, I'm sure. So I think that would be a good pickup if they could pull it off. Um another guy that often gets brought up, I don't think there's really any specific reports related to it, but he's been kind of thrown around for since the beginning of the season, really. Uh Mo Bamba in uh Orlando. Just even though he signed a like a two year deal or whatever in the offseason, um for whatever reason. Um He's kind of just there, and uh, people are positing that the Kings could trade for him and that he would be a good option. Um, before I ask you about it, I want to say that I do not think that that would be a good move. I just don't – I don't really like Mo Bamba. Um, I think when you ever you read things about him from being a young player to even now, he's not regarded as like a high-energy or high-motor guy. He's not regarded as a necessarily smart or high instincts player. And I just think, I don't know. I mean, like if you're talking about a situation where you, I mean, if you're desperate, there's no doubt that he would be better than the other three guys on the roster, three or four guys on the roster for the Kings. Um, But I don't know. I just don't really, I feel like he's my least favorite of the options. You know what I mean? What do you think about Mo? Um... Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. Uh, Mo Bamba, I think he still just has a lot of that promise. Like when he got drafted, it's like, man, this guy is what, like seven one, seven two, huge wingspan, just like an athletic freak. And he never really panned out. 
This is this is his fifth year, fifth season in the league now. And I mean, in his fourth year last year was his best year at 10 points and eight rebounds a game, which, you know, it's not crazy for a lottery pick like himself. But uh, he's on a $10 million contract. So again, it'd be kind of like a tough trade. You'd have to find some pieces. And he's probably worth a little more than Noel at this point, too which might be make him hard to trade for considering he's also shooting right 30 close to 39% from three, which is for a big man exceptional. Um, but I mean, I, I think he'd be good. He can block shots as well. He can be a presence down low, which the Kings need while also being decent on offense, right? He can play both of the side, both sides of the floor. Well, um, at least for this offense and defense, but you know, like you said, it, it's more than that. If he is a low energy guy, Mike Brown, you know, he's all about culture, um, higher energy guys, um, guys who are coachable. So if uh, Bamba doesn't fit that mold, then, uh, you know, and it seems like McNair and Mike Brown are kind of on the same wavelength, too. Then it doesn't seem like Bamba will get touched. But again, I think like his his skill set would fit this team well, but. At the same time, like I, I like Noel a lot, and uh, it, he seems like he's more fit for that role, kind of, kind of like how I liked how I was saying earlier how Quinn Cook was the better player, but Della Bedova would be better for that third string point guard role. I, yeah. That's how I kind of feel about Noel and Bamba. Like, yeah, Bamba's a better player, but I might rather have Noel come off the bench because he knows his role better. Yeah, that's actually a good way of looking at that. Um... But yeah, I think Bamba, probably not. It's less realistic, as you pointed out. I think that's a big thing that the Kings could actually pull off a trade to get him. And I think this is the case with all these trades. It'd be a little ways away and probably involve multiple teams. So maybe there'd be a way for the guys to land and not necessarily land in their lap. That's not a good way to put that. But to finagle a way to get a guy over here, I guess. But I just don't know if Bamba's as worth it. I think you make a good point for other guys maybe being better suited for the specific role. But another guy that kind of gets brought up a lot, um, and we, you know, we just saw him the other night. And, you know, you talk about Noel on Detroit. Detroit's got young, they got Jalen Duran, they got Marvin Bagley. They're they're not looking for centers or anything like that. Orlando, then neither are they. Bamba does not. He's getting pushed out for playing time. Why would they be looking for a center? You could kind of make the argument that Charlotte kind of wants to get younger a little bit at the at the center position. And while it wouldn't be the most ideal option for Charlotte, it kind of seemed plausible in the offseason for a second there. And it would work out in just a straight-up trade. I don't know how realistic it is, but Mason Plumley for Rashawn Holmes, I think someone pointed out on Twitter. I kind of shrugged and went like, if... Charlotte wanted to do that. I mean, I, I think Plumley is not ideal, but I think he kind of fit in. I think he'd 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 be a net positive in the backup role. I think he's a solid player. Obviously, he would just be for this season. And I think that if you take the standpoint that Keita can be the backup center a year from now, well, then like Plumley's that perfect stopgap guy, you know. So that becomes interesting. Again, I don't know. There's no reports attached to that. Um, but I know that Charlotte does want to kind of look at it, get a different look at center 
maybe a younger one. I mean, they drafted Mark Williams, but I think he's hurt right now. Um, so I don't know. Something to think about, right? Yeah, I mean, Plumlee would be good. Nine, he's averaging 9.8 points, 9.3 rebounds, almost a double-double guy. So, I mean, based off of that alone, you know, it's a guy who's down low, battling. Um, not too sure about his defense, not like a big <laughs> Mason Plumlee follower, but, I mean, if you can somehow snag him, like, I, I don't think he can hurt at all. Like, I think the Kings just really need a big body down there, and, someone who can play adequate defense and I, and yeah i if plumley can offer that I, I think i don't have too much to say about plumley just cuz i don't know his game too much even though we just watched him uh, a couple nights ago but if he can provide that for the kings um then yeah you know i'm all for it really wait what's his contract situation i think he's making about the same as whole or like i think he's making 9 million as well i looked at it earlier could pull it up okay i mean Plumlee would be awesome he's a guy who would be grabbing rebounds too um and like i said just battling down low so i wouldn't mind Plumlee. um i feel like i would need to look a little more into him though um yeah, he's making if... eight he's making the cap hit is nine million. Oh, okay well I, I think it did work in the trade machine is just a straight up trade with holmes but i don't know how realistically that scenario is but yeah yeah i don't either i think he... i think we were pointing to though i think he would just as a guy that can integrate i mean like we're talking about narland's noel being able to do that i think Plumley was is equally is able to do that i mean obviously he's not as athletic as narland's noel but i think in terms of mirroring mirroring sabonis defensively like Plumley can do that you get some good coaching on him probably integrate pretty decently on that side of the ball right yeah i i think so i think you i think you could plug in decently here yeah again it's just like how realistic is it how how feasible is it and is charlotte really looking at not necessarily even they'd probably be fine moving on from Plumley. they don't have any kind of future attachment to them mm-hmm. but um it's like does charlotte actually want to I mean, Holmes has not given anybody any reason to come on the floor. <laughs> no. yeah. So that kind of becomes almost the, the, the wall there from Plumley. But mm-hmm. um, two other guys, and I'll just kind of include this in the same conversation because this is kind of my own conjecture, maybe both of us. But two other guys that I feel like one got signed there this offseason is not getting – a ton of playing time, although he might with the injury to Anthony Davis. And then the other guy is a 25 year old promising center that the Kings um, would probably love to have. And I don't know if the Spurs are necessarily giving uh, open to giving up. And I, again, for talking about, you know, a guy like Bamba being hard to attain, it was, would probably be, sim- be somewhat similar with him, but the first guy is Damian Jones. And the second guy is Zach Collins. Um, murmurings from fans here and there and just kind of like looking at centers that aren't necessarily you know i mean centers that you could plausibly plug in and also maybe you're kind of looking at a i don't know that's kind of a best case scenario maybe more so for collins than jones but i mean both those guys in my opinion would be great if you could figure that out a way to do it and again i don't know if you're talking about the other one's not necessarily being 100% realistic. This one is a complete kind of 
gander. I mean, I don't know how realistic it is that they could even go after any of these two, but Hey man, if they could get Damian Jones back, we're a fan of Damian Jones or of hell, if they could get Zach Collins, former Gonzaga bulldog backing up with a Gonzaga bulldog, that would be freaking awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that would be so go. good. I mean, Zach Collins would fit right in with the age group that the Kings are trying to get in here. I mean, he's got a lot of promise, but I don't know. I don't know what San Antonio's thoughts are on him uh, because I think they want to move uh, Podal. I never know. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I say Poidal. Poidal. I don't know if I'm saying that right either. Well, they're trying to get rid of him, I think. They're going to yeah. move on from him. He's going to be a good trade ship. So, I mean, like, and Zach Collins starts in his place. And Zach Collins, again, is 25 years old. Just turned 25 a month mm-hmm. ago. So, it it is... I wouldn't be surprised if the Spurs are like, yeah, that's our... That's our center. I mean, if Popovich is sticking around, I can't think that their rebuild's going to be too long. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Zach Collins, drafted by the Kings, if you remember, traded for the 10th. Or, yeah, the 10th and 20th pick or 10th and 15th pick that turned into um, Justin Jackson. It turned. It was the 10th pick, and it turned into the 15th and 20th for Justin Jackson and Harry Giles um, when they traded him to Portland. Um, hey, injury history, been injured most of his career early on. He's still young, just at 25. Um, can hit the hit the three ball, kind of. Uh, you can kind of stretch the floor out. It takes a couple threes a game. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't know if I, it's, it's a big question. Like, is <laughs> is San Antonio shopping this guy, especially right. with shopping Poitel at the same time? Um, I wouldn't mind Zach Collins. Again, not not the most familiar with his game. But I don't think, again, he's better than Matu, what Holmes is providing at the moment, and Leonard Cata. So I'm totally open to Zach Collins if you can grab him. And like you said, he would fit in this age group. And if you could, you know, if you can grab him over and uh, put him into this core for the next couple of years, it'd be, that'd be awesome. Well, also look at Collins's assist numbers. I think he's the best passer out of these, this group of centers. I mean, Plumlee's a decent passer if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. Um, but I think Collins is the most talented passer. I think he's got, like four assists a game or whatever coming off the bench. Maybe not four, maybe three. I think it's 2.9, 2.9, three assists. It's pretty good for a backup center, I think. And, you know, I think he would, I think he would just, again, I, I don't know. That's probably like best case scenario. That's kind of dreaming, like kind of a pipe dream at this point. But I don't know. It's, a nice guy to mention, I guess. No, but Damian, you're, you're totally Damian. right. No, no, you're right. Like the 2.9 assists is uh, for a guy coming off the bench. Like that's awesome. And if you can grab, if you can get that and plug him in for some bonus, like you were saying, like all the better. If you can find, like I know, I think Mike Brown was saying that he doesn't want cousins because they want centers with a different look than Sabonis and to change the defense. I don't know if he was saying that to be honest or. He's just like, well, yeah, it seemed like, yeah, 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 it really honestly seemed like a, well, hey, look at it this way about that. Yeah, exactly. it seemed like the ship was starting to sink on Metu when he around that time, because I think that was like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think so, too. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to get grab a guy who could fit in, pass the ball well, grab some boards, provide some, you know, a big body down down low. So. 
Um, I like Zach Collins. Again, not sure how realistic, but I mean, McNair is looking at everyone, just like you probably are trying to do this, just like I am. So um, if he can somehow try to snag one, any of these guys so far you've mentioned, I bet he he's trying to make an offer already. But it's it's so hard. Trades just in general for the Kings just seem... Uh, it's just, we, I don't feel like we have a lot of flexibility, especially with our cap space. And just like, well, who do we trade? Like mm-hmm. Terrence Davis, like we said, Trey Lyles, Rashawn Holmes. Like, does anyone even want Holmes? But other than that, no. I mean, <laughs> most, most people are kind of untouchable. Or Alex Lynn. But other than that, like everyone's kind of untouchable. Mitchell, I, I think he's not untouchable. But like for one of these guys, like, you trade Mitchell for Zach Collins. Well, now you're just opening a hole at the yeah. You better be getting a, you better be getting a good backup point guard somehow. Exactly. So it's it's just like the Kings just don't have a lot of trade pieces, which why the Noel at this moment makes the most sense still because they don't they probably have to give up the least for him, right? So, but anyway, sorry, you're going to go into Damian Jones, who I love. I love Damian. Yeah, Jones. and it's just like, I mean. Go to a new team, it's not necessarily working out in his favor in terms of earning minutes. And I'm not following the Lakers in any way, so I don't know what the issue is with him. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, like, it'd be hard to believe that he couldn't in somewhat, you know, in some way, I mean, replicate what he did late down the stretch last season. I mean, he was essentially backing up Sabonis there for a second and then filled in for Sabonis after he got hurt. And he was, it was tremendous. We had nothing but good things to say about him. And I think his ability to kind of be a kind of a mobile center that plays the right way, never plays outside of himself, uh, run, did I say run the floor already? Uh, can be a kind of a roaming rim protector, probably would fit right into, you know, learning Mike Brown's system. He's a really smart guy. I think he's got like a master's degree from Vanderbilt. Uh, disciplined guy, I think he'd be perfect. Now, he just signed with the Lakers. Um, it felt like the Kings would have probably retained him if they would have been able to trade Holmes, but they couldn't trade Holmes. So, I mean, if you could find a way to get him back here, that would be awesome. You know? But, again, I just I, it's it's hard to envision a realistic scenario off the top of my head, I guess. Um, how that actually works out, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I I don't know how much Jones is playing. I mean, he's he's played in 16 games this year, averaging 9.9 minutes in those games, three points, three rebounds. I, I mean, but now Anthony Davis is hurt, so they're probably going to need him to step up now. Mm-hmm. But, um, man, I would love to get Jones back somehow. And I don't like Terrence Davis, maybe for Jones. You know, the Lakers are always looking for shooting, right? And Terrence Davis. I'm, yeah, that, I, that could be that. That that actually is interesting. Even Trey Lyles, man. Like, I love Trey Lyles, just like I love Damian Jones. But like and those are two Terrence guys Davis who can too. hit. I love Terrence Davis as well. So it's just yeah. like. It, but they're both good three-point shooters, and that's what the Lakers really need right now. So. I could see them getting Jones if he's really not playing that much in LA and if they just don't really need him. Like, might as well get some shooters around LeBron while you have him and AD while you have him healthy. Well, I mean, he's not healthy right now, but <laughs> while you have him, I guess, in, in general. Um, when he comes back. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, I could see, 
I mean, maybe I'm just hoping, but he just seems like he's not playing too much in LA. So I could see the Lakers being interested. Like, oh, okay, like Terrence Davis for Damian Jones. Like, because Jones, he's at a pretty like minimal contract, right? It's not, I don't think he's making a yeah. lot this year. I think so, it's like one or two million. Yeah, exactly. So if you can pick him up for that or trade him for that. Oh man, Damian Jones was so good at the end of last year, and even not at the end of last year. I think he was he was good all year. He was just kind of fighting for minutes, especially when Holmes and Sabonis were there. And you know, you had Lynn as your backup center last year as well at points. So Jones, great great interior guy, good on the switch, yeah, good on offense. Doesn't do thing. too much, but he showed he could. He showed that he had a little more to his offensive game than we thought. So. I would love to somehow get Damian Jones back. Um, I, I mean, I think him and Noel out of those people, oh, you kind of sold me on Zach Collins too, but realistically Jones and Noel, I, if you can get one of those two, I really fill in that hole at the center position. Yeah. Zach Collins is probably the least realistic, but I think you really convinced me that Jones might be more realistic than I thought. That is a good point. I mean, we were talking about that earlier in the season. We're like, man, it's a shame we brought up uh, Sam Merrill. We were like, man, it's a shame the Kings didn't keep Sam Merrill because they could have just, like, <laughs> maybe they could have done a swap without really losing any of their core guys or rotational guys. Um, but hell, I mean, like, if we're talking about having to give up something, which is a reality in professional sports when trades go down, you know, Lyles, Davis. I mean, those are two of my favorite players to watch on this team. Um, just the way they play the game. Um, but that would certainly make this team a lot better if they had Damian Jones as a backup. And we've been saying that for a while. <laughs> yes, but, we have. Yeah. <laughs> we've been saying it for a minute. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can't say more than... <laughs> I mean, if you listen to our show long enough, <laughs> you can tell we're big. We're big Damian Jones fans, but for a good reason. He he does everything so well. He, he just he's just a great yeah, off the bench. He just does yeah. like one of those things, just like everything right kind of guy. Doesn't do too much, does his role what he's intended to do. So I, I think Damian Jones is in reach. I really do. Yeah. If would you make an offer. Freaking awesome if they could figure that out, because I think that would really help this team. Heck yeah. Really any of these guys would just really be an upgrade if they could figure it out. Because um, that is, we're you know, as much as the backup wing thing has been around for a long time as an issue, and drives a lot of Kings fans nuts. Um, the gaping wound right now is the backup center, and these guys would be terrific fill-ins for that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But you know, Monty McNair is going to have to figure out a way to do that. And uh, speaking of Monty McNair, um. Mark Stein reported, I think, on Sunday that Monty McNair, who kind of dodged contract extension talks and caused a little mini stir, at least a little discussion as to what the hell was going on. Was he in danger of losing his job? Was he gaining leverage over the Kings? Uh, What the heck was happening? Why was he not getting an extension when he had clearly had a terrific offseason adding Kevin Herter? signing Malik Monk, and drafting Keegan Murray. And now Mark Stein reported that Monty McNair is expected to um, get a contract extension early in 2023, the flip of the calendar year. So that's pretty cool. 
Um, but it's still weird. And as Mark Stein noted, a lot of people in league circles kind of found it curious that it's taken this long. So people around the league are just as baffled as us that of the timing, I guess. It's bizarre. It's good news. I mean, it's as it, it should be. Um, but it is interesting still. I mean, any thoughts on this? This is a big report. Uh, like good <laughs> dude deserved a contract extension a long time ago. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that there's, you know, some talks or rumors or whatever that he's probably going to get one sooner than later. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what took so long to get to this point. Um, but I mean, it definitely helps that the Kings are winning this year, but I, I feel like it was not obvious, but we had a, um, you know, good reason to believe that they would do better this year considering the team he built before the season started. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like, good, like (laughs) keep this man in sack as long as you can. He, (laughs) this is a, I mean, 16 year record playoff drought. And like at the moment he's on pace to, to break us out of that. So (laughs) if anyone's deserving of a contract extension in the NBA right now, it's this man. So, Glad there's talks, but I can't wait till, uh, you know, the pins on paper, right? Yeah. I think one of the interesting things is, and I can't help thinking this, and I don't know. Uh, there's no real indication. But it's just like when you have the league kind of scratching their heads, like people around the league scratching their heads about something the Kings are doing, something tells me that the spotlight there goes to Vivek Ranadive. And this is pure speculation but i wouldn't be surprised if vivek was like oh yeah you had a good off season well let's see how what happens in the first half of the season <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that just sounds like i don't know maybe again maybe i'm reaching here but that just sounds like that could be a plausible explanation but i, I mean any nothing's off the table with vivek right <laughs> it's just like okay like he's done a lot stupider things in his time in sack so that could definitely be what actually happened but who knows um i don't know it's just so weird he's like or he makes he makes vlade you know seem i mean vlade was awful but geez like he's just so much better already competent um yeah and mcnair we trust right at the end of the day so that's right <laughs> mcnair we trust baby but so deserving of that contract extension and yeah, Vivek better just pay him out, man. That's all I got to say. Just, it's I don't know. I don't know what's taking this long, but like I said, I'm just glad. Glad talks. We're still finally kind of hearing rumors because there was kind of just like nothing. Even when they were, it was brought up to him. It's just like, yeah, I'm just focused on winning. Just yeah, he like on... avoided it, which was just yeah. like, oh, that was weird. What, that could mean anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at, at least rumors are starting, even if, you know, wherever Mark Stein substack, but uh yeah, it's uh, it's good news for Kings fans for sure. Yeah, um, and you know, <laughs> I think this was probably this kind of was seemed like it was going to happen as soon as he got Sabonis. I mean, it took a little bit for some people to warm up to that, but man, that was that was the move to make. And uh, regardless of who you're giving up, I mean, that set this team on the right track, and. I think moving on to something that's maybe a little more positive, maybe we've had a lot of 
negative topics here, I guess. Not negative, but critiques and things that the Kings need to do. And, you know, I guess the one common theme of the game on Monday was that the Kings' two best players played really well. And we know that Sabonis is an all-star. Just the whole, it's not a a bid to be an all-star anymore. It's just a, it's a fact, I guess. Um, but I think, you know, cause you, we, we talked about at the beginning of the season, like who's more likely, who has a higher likelihood of being an all-star before the season even started. And we were talking about, well, Sabonis, especially if the team's winning, because the team's going to be winning specifically because of Sabonis, he's going to be the catalyst at the center, kind of the, providing the framework that allows the train to stay on the track. You know, everything starts with him in a way. And that's remained mostly true. But, and we've talked about Fox being so important because he kind of dictates how far this team can go. He's dictating this, the, the height of the ceiling. He's the wind behind the sails, all these things. But he proved something by missing a few games, being off for a few games, I should say, and missing a few games, and then coming back. Because for a little bit there on that road trip, especially when he was out, the Kings really got away from playing their brand of basketball they were down in assists their pace was down and their defense wasn't as sharp but as soon as fox came back all three of those things were tightened right back up and that's no coincidence at all and so and also i think another thing that's important the fourth thing is the bench was able to play better because fox plays a lot of minutes with the second unit guys at the end of the first and into the second quarter um and you could see all those things just bounce right back into what we were used to seeing when the Kings were winning consistently. Um, and I guess this is a long-winded way of saying, man, I, I feel like that all-star case for Fox is still pretty strong, even though the I feel like the it took a hit, I think it's fair to say, right? I mean, it's still fairly strong. I think especially if the Kings continue staying in the as one of the top teams in the West come February, mm-hmm. it's hard not to have both of those guys. Yeah, as long as Fox doesn't have another stretch like he did uh, of 10 games somewhere between now and the All-Star game, because it's about, what, two months away, really, right? So... um I mean, I think so too. Especially with the Kings winning, if the Kings drop off, but Sabonis is still putting up the same numbers and Foxes, I think Sabonis is still an All Star regardless, and Fox isn't. But if the Kings keep playing, uh, yeah, they're still like, you know, in a playoff scene in the West, um, and Fox is still putting up Fox type numbers, like twenty five a game, and so and putting the team on his back in games and carrying them and getting that national media attention that he has actually gotten this season. I think he's an all-star too, but he did have a he did have a bad stretch of games, regardless if it was his foot or not. It was like it it definitely kind of put him into like that that uh, foggy area where I'm like, oh, okay, now he's in this gray area where he's kind of like a borderline all-star still. But it was nice to see him kind of pick up back to where he left off and kind of stayed at that level the last three games. So that's been nice, but it, it's really just going to depend on if. He has another bad stretch. There's a lot of good guards in the West. A lot of good guards he's going to battle against. So yeah, that's another thing you got to think about too. Where Sabonis, he's just like, man, this dude is good. No doubt. Fox does to earn it. Um, just because his inconsistency so far this season. 
And and like I said, it's those ten games really that stand out. But um, I think he I think he's still on track to potentially you know have a good chance to potentially be an all star. But he still he still has to earn it. Where Sabonis I think has already done so. Yeah, I agree. Just gotta from here on out figure it out. Stay in that. Don't get hurt. Um, yeah. And if you get hurt, maybe just take a day off. Yeah. I mean, it was such a bad look. I mean, like when the Kings lost at home to the Suns and Devin Booker was just going off and Fox was nowhere to be found. It's like that. It, that felt like such a bad look for all-star chances. So you do have to avoid that kind of stuff, regardless if you're hurt or not. And also you're talking about the winning being huge. I mean, the winning, as I was just pointing out, is predicated a lot on whether Fox is there and making the impact that he usually makes because it does affect the team, maybe not to the extent. I don't know if it's as a team, like in terms of team-wide effect from his presence on the floor. Sabonis probably still hasn't beat, but I think Fox has proved in his return that it's far more substantial than I probably imagined. Um, so it'll also be not just dependent that he plays well to – I guess the three things kind of intertwine. He's got to win to be an all-star. He's got to stay healthy to win. And he's also got to stay healthy to be an all-star. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just kind of mm-hmm. cross sections all the way, all the way around. Yeah. And so that's all, but yeah, he could totally do it. And I think so. I think the, the, the return and how the Kings kind of returned to playing like the Kings, um, that, that was a big sign that, it's still very hopeful. the The hope is strong for him. Yeah, just mm-hmm. gotta continue. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything else we got on the docket? I think we covered everything for now. Um, yeah. Well, cool. That's everything. Sweet. Well, Kings play the Lakers tonight. You know, classic rivalry game. They're at home this time. Um, I don't know. Beat LA, right? <laughs> Maybe play Cold as Ice and just get like, get the like audio visual or the audio guy just like banned. Remember when yeah. the, That's remember right. when the, they banned that from it being played in arenas or something? It's pretty Cause, stupid. Because what Russell Westbrook got his feelings hurt. <laughs> yeah. They should just do it anyway. Like, what what would happen? That'd be like, awesome. Can you just get fined or something? What? They'll get, get the beam taken away. <laughs> Imagine. It's like, no. No, you lost your privilege, Adam Silver. He's holding it. <laughs> yeah, he's just holding like a like one of those sun tanning like reflective things over it. Like, <laughs> nope, nope. He's got like <laughs> yeah. NBA drones flying over it, just blocking it with a big tarp. <laughs> nope, not tonight. Oh my god, I don't care was... if you won. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Oh my god. Um, well, let's find out. Play, play the play. Cold as ice. That's we'll, right. We'll see what happens, but uh. Yeah, second game of a six-game homestand, and uh, hopefully <laughs> this game goes better than the game on Monday night against the Hornets. But um, it'll be fun as always. The Lakers-Kings always fun to watch. But, John, anything to wrap up with? I think that, that that's it. We'll just have to see. It's an, it's an interesting thing because it seemed like there was so much mo- momentum coming in to, coming back home. And then, like I said, they slipped on the banana peel. So... Slip, yeah, slipped hard. Where they go from here is huge because this is an important stretch of basketball to capitalize on. If you're playing so much at home, you got to win. This is a tough conference. This is a tough league. So 
This is what teams that this is what playoff teams do. They take advantage of these things. Playoff teams go. You want to say playoff teams go three and three on the road? Well, playoff teams really got to clean it up here. So mm-hmm. got to bounce back, dude. So true. So true. But um, yeah. Well, I want to thank you all for tuning in, and as always, until next time, have a good one.